Grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God, as we find it written in St. John's Gospel, reading there in the 15th chapter, beginning at the 17th verse. These things I command you, that ye love one another. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no choice for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also. If I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin. But now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. And ye also shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. It is rather a dark and gloomy and rainy morning, but it's nice to be here in God's house, is it not? And I'm glad that in this Labor Day weekend that we have found it in our schedule to be able to spend part of this day in the temple of our God. Today is the 14th Sunday after Trinity, as you know. The words that I just read were spoken by Jesus in the upper room the night before his death on Calvary. In these words, when he spoke to the apostles, he said, These things I command you, that ye love one another. This word love, you may say, what did he mean? This word love is that Greek word agapon. I like to call it divine love or Christian love. It's a special kind of love. And you may say, what kind of love is this love we are to have to others? What Jesus is saying this, I want you to love others, to have this kind of love that causes you to long for the salvation and the eternal welfare of others, and that love that causes you to treat them in keeping with that plan and with that motive that you have that you will treat them accordingly. You love them to the point that you want them saved, and you're going to treat them so that you will never hinder that aim, but you will always help it and you will always further it. This is what he means by this kind of agapon or divine love. In other words, this morning Jesus says to you and to me, I want you to see to it that in your life that you love one another. I want you to see that you have divine love, this Christian love, that there is a longing, there is a yearning, there is a desire in your heart that you want the salvation of others and that there is this kind of love that will cause you to treat them in keeping with that desire. 
that never will you treat them in such a way that you will hinder this aim that you have, but that you will always further it. You and I may say, preacher, I've heard that before. I am to love others. But we may say, why? Why should I love others? I had a young minister come to see me not too long ago, a Lutheran minister, this was the thing that weighed heavily on his heart. And he said to me, why? Why should I love others? Why should I be motivated with a desire and a longing to save others and to treat them accordingly? What does it do for me? Does it make my life any richer? Does it make my life any fuller? And he said, it's the most thankless job in the world. I'd like to talk about that this morning. Maybe you and I as Christians have said, Jesus says, yes, love one another. That means that I am to yearn for the salvation of others, that I am to treat them accordingly. Why? What does it do me? Does it make my life any happier? Does it bring me any joy? Does it bring me any comfort? Like the young minister who was so frustrated, so filled with God-forsakenness, he said, why? And Jesus would say to you and me this morning, I want you to have divine love for one another. I want you to have that kind of love that you long for the other person's salvation and you'll treat him that way. You'll never hinder it, but you'll always help it. And Jesus would say, because I want you to know that it will make your life richer. It will make it fuller. You may even walk sometimes on tiptoe. You and I may say, what does it mean really to have divine love? toward others. And Jesus would remind you and me in the first place that it means this. It means that you and I will love those who hate him, who hate Jesus Christ. I'd like to be very practical this morning. When we talk about those that hate Christ, I'm not talking about somebody over in the communistic Russia. I, I'd like to look in your life this morning, you look in mine, where you think of somebody that you know, that you come in contact with about every day, who hates Jesus Christ. Now name him, will you? Put him in your heart. Put this person. We're, we're going to we're going to plow down your roll corn this morning, mine. You get him by name, somebody that hates you. Now Jesus says, I want you to love him. I want you to love that person who has no use for me, who thinks that I'm the biggest fake that ever came, who thinks that I'm an imposter. You know him by name. You, you rub shoulders with him. I want you to yearn for his salvation, and I want you to treat him accordingly. And you and I may say, that's the most thankless job in the world. But Christ says, when you do it, you're going to enrich your life. And you and I may say, how will that enrich my life? You know, it will do it this way, to our surprise. Whenever you and I really long for the salvation of others, even for those that don't have a good word for Jesus Christ, that means that this divine love was born of a living faith. It is an evidence that you and I are Christian. A man that isn't a Christian couldn't care less about yearning for the salvation of somebody else or even care still less about how he treats him. When in your Christian life and mine we long for somebody's salvation, even though they have no use for Christ, then we can say, mine must be a living faith. Mine is not a faith that is deader than a doornail. Here is an evidence that I've got a living faith, that I am saved, that I have been delivered by Christ from eternal death, that I have been given eternal life, or I wouldn't have divine love I wouldn't be motivated in order to try to save others. This makes life worth living. We may say, it's the most 
Oh, this is the most thankless thing in the world. But Jesus said, this is what it means. I want you to love one another. It means this, that you will love those who do not know me. You and I may say, why, why should I love somebody who doesn't know Jesus? Now, in your life and mine this morning, will you, will you just name somebody, whether he's John or Harry or Pete or Dick or Betty or Mary or Jane, somebody in your life and mine who doesn't know Jesus Christ? I want it to be something concrete, somebody you're thinking, not over in Russia someplace, right here in your life and mine. Now Jesus says, he stands behind you and he says, now I want you to love that person. That person doesn't know me. I want you to love that person that you yearn for that person's salvation. I want you to treat that person accordingly so that you never hinder what you want to have happen, that you will always encourage it. You and I may say, that's the most thankless job in the world. What does it do for me? What, is it, what does it bring me in life? And Jesus says, you're going to be surprised. You're going to be surprised that when you take an opportunity to talk to that person who doesn't know me, you're going to find that you're going to have this joy that you're going to be able to explain the way of salvation. Did you ever talk to somebody who didn't know Christ and suddenly you began to say, well, now he was the son of God. You said it in simple terms. He died on the cross because he was God. He bore hell and damnation. He merited a 100% righteousness for us that by putting our trust in him. How many of you have called me at times and said, you know, I never knew that I could explain the way of salvation. You were rather thrilled. You said, I got along pretty good. And some of you called and said, I got stuck a couple of times, but I got along. And then you turned to your Bible and you, you began to look at this thing and the Bible began to live. You were looking for information. You were appealing yourself. And you were, again, there was joy, wasn't there? There was joy that you really were able to tell somebody the plan of salvation. Rather surprising, isn't it? Yeah, you see this young minister, again, oh, he was so depressed. What good does it do? What most thankless thing in the world? Maybe you and I feel that way too. And Jesus said, you know what it means when I tell you to love one another? Christ says it means this, that you and I will love. With this kind of divine love, we will love those who hate us because we're Christians. Now, will you just do this this morning? Who in your life that you come in contact with, you're in marrying, job, who in life has no use for you because you're a Christian, no use for me? He looks at you and he looks at me and he says to himself, if what that guy believes or what that preacher believes is true, I'm damned. And he has no use for us because we're Christian. And again, he shows it. Uh, by, again, by little slurs, by little dirty remarks, by sarcasm, by ridicule. Jesus stands behind you and me this morning and says, Now listen, I want you to love him. This is what I mean. I want you to have this kind of divine love that you will long for that person's salvation and you will see to it that you will treat him not the way you think he ought to be treated, but you will treat him so that you'll never hinder this, but you will help him. And you and I may stop and say, But listen, Jesus, you mean to tell me that I'm supposed to love that person and long for that person's salvation and never to hinder it? I'm supposed to see that this thing is absolutely encouraged? What do I get out of it? Uh, what's it going to do for me? This is the most thankless job in the world. And Jesus told the apostles in the upper room that night, he said, don't marvel when again he says that these people are going to hate you. He says, won't you remember they hated me before they hated you? Don't you remember this, that you're only a pupil and I'm the teacher, and if they hate the teacher, they're going to hate the pupil? There comes this joy, rather surprised that you and I say, Christ is beginning to mean more to me than he's ever meant. You know, it's only when we take the slurs and we come back with prayer and we come back with interest 
that we begin to say it costs something to be a Christian, but Jesus begins to grow and we say, thank God I've got him. I'm in his company. I, I'm in his society. I belong to his inner circle. Uh, he was one who was fitted upon and laughed upon and ridiculed, and now I'm with him. Uh, this is a pretty nice feeling. We begin to appreciate him and say, thanks, Christ, that I have forgiveness and life and salvation in you. Rather a surprising thing. We cry out sometimes. We say, I'm to, I'm to love others. I am to be filled with a, a longing for the salvation of others and treat that person accordingly, never to hinder it, but always to enhance it. And we can cry out too and all sincerity and say, what's it going to do for me? After all, why? Why should I be concerned about others? Jesus would remind you and me that this is what it means when I've got this kind of divine love, I'm going to, I'm going to love those that I, I don't like. Now, will you just this morning, will you just take somebody that you come in contact with every day that you just don't particularly like? Now, you may say, well, can I be a Christian and not like people? Now, there's another word for this word. I like the word like instead of using love here. This is the word flying in Greek, which means filial affection. This is liking. Of course we like some people better than others. You wouldn't have married the person that you're married to if you didn't like that person, didn't like uh, him or her better than others. So Jesus liked some people better than others. But Jesus said, when I ask you to love others, I... I want you to love them and to yearn for their salvation. Those who don't like you. Those you don't like. You may say this morning, you've got somebody in mind. Now, tomorrow's Labor Day. Would you put somebody in mind? Perhaps it's your boss. Perhaps there's just something about your boss you just don't like. There's just something about him. He just rubs you the wrong way. And he's constantly criticizing you and he doesn't appreciate what you do. And he doesn't appreciate your output, but you just don't like him. Is it your boss? Jesus says, I want you to love him. I want you to be concerned for his salvation, and I want you to treat him. Maybe it isn't your boss. Could it be your preacher? Could it be your preacher? This was what was wrong with the young minister that came to see me. You see, when you're not liked, then everything you do is wrong. Everything he was doing was wrong. His spirit was broken completely, just gone. Nobody liked him. It's a horrible feeling, isn't it? Then you've got to love those you don't. It may be your preacher. I've been standing up here for nearly 35 years. There's no doubt about it. Some of you are getting sick and tired of it. You'd like a change, and you can't wait till it comes. You say... If there's just something about him, he just preaches too long, or he talks too loud, or he just does this, and I, I just don't like him. That's possible. They didn't like Christ either. I know a lot of times you have to say things up here that people don't like. I remember in my first church in a small congregation, I was preaching on this thing of love one Sunday, and a woman got right up during the sermon went on out. And of course, again, I didn't know why, and I got a letter, and she said to me, you don't realize, she said, what kind of a neighbor I've got. And he put up a line fence, and there shouldn't have been where it was. And yeah, I knew you were meaning me because you were looking right at me. You see, sometimes that when this shoe pinches, boy, it pinches hard, and so we just don't like. But Jesus says, would you do this? I want you to love. I want you to love those that you don't like. You and I may say, where's there any fun in life in that? Where's there any comfort? Christ would remind me, it's quite some surprises. 
the prize of a forgiving spirit. When there is a forgiving spirit. How many of us, we don't have a forgiving spirit, then we're miserable. When there's hatred in the heart against somebody, boy, listen, life is spoiled. And I don't care what part there is of it, isn't that right? The hater suffers more than the one he hates, isn't that right? Again, to have a spirit that is forgiving, that at the close of a day there's no hatred down here. Seems to me that puts life on tiptoe. You and I just can't afford to live life with hatred, can we? But you see, my young pastor friend, very discouraged, said, most thankless thing in the world. Looks like it at times. And yet there's something about it that brings joy and comfort, a forgiving spirit. Jesus says, loving me, I want you to know this, having divine love, and for others it means this, that you will love those that the world sort of discriminates against, the, the untouchables. Jesus says, uh, picture somebody now. Now, who is there that you and I come in contact with, maybe seven days a week, that, that they're just something about them. They're just untouchable. Maybe the color of their skin is different from the color of yours and mine. Maybe they're black and you're white, or maybe you're a black and they're white. Uh, perhaps it's this, that uh, you don't like their long hair. Uh, that sort of goes against, especially if it isn't combed and if it's rather dirty and they don't wear shoes. Well, they hit me, and especially if he's on dope or if he's on alcohol or he takes the trip. Or if he picks his nose and wipes his snotty nose on his sleeve and it gags you. This is what he's talking about. Jesus said, I want you to love him. And I say, wait a minute. I'm supposed to yearn for that person's salvation and I'm supposed to treat that person accordingly that I'll never hinder it, that I'll never treat him in such a way that I'm going to block his salvation, but I'm going to enhance it. And I may say, that's the most thankless job in the world. But if we just stop to do it, we're going to find another surprise, and that's this. We're going to say, thanks Christ that you were no respecter of persons. Have we ever wondered how Jesus feels towards you and me? Oh, you and I may turn and say, look at, look at these individuals, I'm to love them. I wonder how about it when we were snobbish. And I wonder how he feels about it when we have an air of self-righteousness. We're so much better than anybody else. Isn't it quite a comfort and quite a joy to say, Thanks, Christ, that you love the untouchable, therefore I know you love me with all my faults. Makes you feel good, doesn't it? You know, it does enhance life. Even though at times we cry out and we say, Why? Why should I love my fellow man? Most thankless job in the world, the way he looks. Jesus said, you want to know what I mean when I'm asking you to love your fellow man? Jesus is saying this, I want you to love those who constantly irritate you and nearly drive you crazy. That life is hardly worth living. Will you bring another picture in your mind? Who's that? Oh, I say this facetiously, is it your mother-in-law? Who is it that just simply drives you, distracts you, ready to fly out of your skin? Nagging, nagging, nagging. Is it your husband? Is it your wife? Your kids? Jesus says, I, I want you to love those that... I want you to love those that they're constantly on your back. 
whether it's your husband or wife or your kids, I want you to love them with a longing and I want you to treat them accordingly. Never do anything that would hinder their eternal welfare. Always do something that enhances it. You and I may say, like my preacher friend, the most thankless job in the world. But oh, you know, when we learn to so love, even the one that we just say, I just can't hardly go on. I just can hardly take another day of this thing. Suddenly there, there's a surprise that Christ gives us strength for the day. Somehow or other we get the day done. And there's a serenity at eventide. And again, there's no bitterness. There's no resentment. And we thank him, we say, I never thought I'd get through that day. Thanks for, oh, for strength for the day to keep me sweet and to keep me from being bitter. Do you ever end the day and say, thanks God that I'm not bitter? That's life sort of on tiptoe now, isn't it? Isn't it? Jesus says, oh, he's in the upper room ready before he's dead. He said, will you men, I want you to love one another. This was such a matter close to his heart. You say, what does he mean? It means this, Jesus would remind you of me. When I want you to love one another, I want you to love those whom you like and who like you. You may say, well now, preacher, now you're, you're, you're plowing down my roll corn the right way. You're, you're asking me that I should have a longing, that I should long to see the salvation of those whom I like and of those who like me. But wait a minute. Is that so easy? Picture somebody. Who do you really like? You may say, I love my wife. I like my husband. I like my kids. And yet, may I ask you this? You find it easy to love them with a divine love? Do you find it easy to treat them that you've always got their eternal welfare in mind? Or are you a tyrant? Would you have to say that you don't even give your wife or your husband or your kids, or I don't either, the decency and the courtesy that we give to strangers or to the neighbor's kids? How about it? I wish you'd know the number of individuals, wives and husbands that have come in my ministry who said, it's a, my husband, my wife's a tyrant. There's no love. Even in parsonages, I've had preachers' wives come and tell me they've been whipped by their husbands. Charity. Preachers' kids who chafe under the Simon Legree tactics of a father. Don't you think it's easy? Why is it, in your Christian experience and mine, that in the home we say love begins at home, does it in your house and mine? How many are chafing at the bit and suffering? You and I have never learned how to love. We've never learned appreciation. Jesus says, I want you to love that person. You got that person in mind? I'm talking about your life and mine this morning, right down where you and I live. I'm not over in Europe and Asia. I'm right down here in your home and mine. We stand as tyrants, don't we? Then Jesus says, will you, will you have divine love? 
where you love them to the point that you pray for their salvation and you treat them accordingly, there's a surprise. We find their love. That they know all of our weaknesses and all the weaknesses in your life and in mine. Selfishnesses. Our lack of utter concern and courtesy to those who love us most and they still love us. When someone has said, when you've got a friend, it means that he knows all your faults and all your weaknesses and he still loves you. If you and I have any friends left, they're in our home, aren't they? Jesus says it puts life on tiptoe. You say, I'm to, I'm to love others? Yeah. My young minister friend telling you when you get despondency, and a man's spirit is broken, boy, it's rough. Why should I spend my life loving others? I know how I felt. Why? Jesus would say, listen, I want you to love and to love the way I want you to love with a divine love that you, you long for the salvation of others. This means that you long for the salvation of everyone, even the stranger, and you rely upon the Holy Spirit to give you strength to do the kind things and to say the right words. In the upper room, this, this lay very close to Jesus' heart. He was ready to die the next day, and he was... He was telling the twelve, will you just remember this, will you just love? You and I may say, to love the stranger, will you pick a stranger? Maybe the person alongside of you this morning, maybe two people away, or maybe it's a stranger. Jesus saying, here's what I'm saying to you, will you, will you love that stranger? Will you have divine love that you will have a, a yearning that you want that person saved and you'll treat that person accordingly? Maybe a handshake this morning, maybe you'll take time. Maybe you say hello. Maybe you introduce yourself. You and I may say, what fun, what joy. God knows what just a few kind words may do. I thought of this the other night. Turned on television for a moment and watched a little bit of the Olympics over in Germany. If you remember, they were going back and they showed pictures of Hitler. And that brought back a story about him. And I thought to myself, oh, if somebody had just shown a little love to that guy. It was Christmas Eve, the story is told. In Berlin, there was to be a dance of the aristocracy in one of the palaces. There was a little guy sweeping the snow off of the sidewalk on Christmas Eve. A little guy by the name of Adolf Hitler. That was his job. We are told that as the limousines drove up to the palace and the aristocracy got out and they went in, and here was this little guy, Hitler, sweeping. Not a soul said a Merry Christmas to you. We are told that it was that Christmas Eve, that night, that Adolf Hitler said, I'm going to change this government. That's when there came this idea, Mein Kampf, my struggle. There came World War II and the gas chambers of Dachau and Buchenwald, six to seven million Jews. Oh God, maybe it could have all been averted if somebody that Christmas Eve had just said to that lonely guy, a Merry Christmas to you. Who knows what a kind word in your life and mine 
to a stranger may do. I hope that in your Christian experience and living here in Marion, you've got some people in mind. You've called them by name. I have. And I hope we can say, this was close to Christ's heart in the upper room that night. I'm going to love. I'm going to start loving. We ought to remind ourselves that Jesus was the happiest person that ever lived. Maybe we picture him. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I know he is. But he was the happiest person. Why? Because down here, in here, he had peace. Everything was just all right. And when you've got peace down here through love, you see, he loved everybody. He yearned for the salvation of every man. And he went to the cross to prove it. He was the happiest person that ever lived. Oh, that you and I would begin each day and say, give me strength to love some people when I find it so hard to love them that I really long for their salvation. And the Holy Spirit will give you and me strength and when we look at a person and say, God died for that person. He may hate me, he may hate Christ. But oh, Holy Spirit, give me the strength to, when the occasion comes to say something nice, to, to just treat him so I'll not hinder his heavenward journey. Then if we just start each day and ask Jesus to forgive us our lovelessness. Oh, when I was over in the Holy Land standing at the Brook Jabbok, I want to tell you it was a tremendous emotional experience for me. Jabbok, you know, was that's the Brook Jabbok where Jacob stood, remember, and he wrestled with the angel. Remember Jacob and Esau, those twin brothers, you know, and Jacob had wrested the birthright from his brother Esau, and he had to flee, and he went up to Herod, and he was there for 20 years. And in that 20 years again, he had this feeling, I, I simply had went ahead and I cheated my brother out of the birthright. And he knew that he was a dirty shyster. And for 20 years, this thing was gnawing in his soul. Now he wanted to go back to the land of Canaan. He had his two wives and he had 11 children. And the 12th son was on the way. And he sent word Esau to come. And he, he wanted to settle this thing. And he came to Jabbok that night. And I stood there and I washed my hands in the river Jabbok and I thought, here is where Jacob wrestled with the Son of God, Jesus, before his incarnation. And he wrestled with him and Jacob, remember, held on. He said, I'll never let you go until you bless me. You've got to forgive me. I've been anything but loving to my brother. And remember that his sins were forgiven. He got a new name, Israel, Prince of God. And remember the Lord God touched his thigh and his hip was out of joint. He was lame from that time on, but oh, when the sun went up that morning over Jabbok, Jacob, he was limping. But oh God, there was something down in here that he hadn't had for 20 years. There was peace. He was going to love. And Esau was coming with 400 men. Jacob walked out and he limped and he met Esau. And he didn't know whether Esau was going to kill him, but down here he was going to love him. These were men of destiny, you know. The Savior was going to come from their line. And Esau threw his arms around him and they stood there and they kissed and they wept by the brook Jabbok. And you see, there was reconciliation. And Esau understood the plan of God that from Jacob's line the Messiah was going to come. They were friends. Jacob had helped him in his heavenward journey they met again at their father's funeral when Isaac died oh God if we could just 
if we could just learn to love. And they, they put it in a beautiful song, the Latvian love song, that when we have learned to love, when again we're life on tiptoe, we can walk the glory road and we can sing as regards our Savior and our God, uh, my God and I go in the field together. We walk and talk as good friends should and do. We clasp our hands, our voices ring with laughter. My God and I walk through the, the meadows, you. Oh yes, this earth will pass, and with it common trifles. Oh, but God and I will go unendingly. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding. Keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.